Thanks for downloading the 15th in our series of episodes of the C-Suite podcast that we're recording in partnership with the European PR agency Taito and their own Without Borders podcast, where we are interviewing leaders of unicorn companies to find out about the key issues, pain points and challenges that startups face and how they can address them with a strategic approach to marketing and communications. My name is Russell Goldsmith and my co-host for this series of interviews is Taito's founder, Brendan Craigie. And today we're thrilled to be joined online from Paolo Alto by Vijay Teller, CEO and founder of Workato, the leading enterprise automation platform that helps organizations work faster and smarter without compromising security and governance. Uh, now, back in January, Workato announced a $110 million Series D funding, uh, which raised their valuation of the business to $1.7 billion. Uh, welcome to the show, VJ. Uh, we should probably start by you giving us a quick introduction to your business. Yes, uh, thank you for having me here, uh, Russell. So Workato is a uh, platform to help customers connect or integrate across all of the different applications they have in a company and automate uh, workflows, how they get the work done across their applications and people across the company. You know, there's uh, just an explosion of uh, SaaS applications, a lot of fragmentation of data. The work context is chopped up. Pieces of work gets done in hundreds of apps. So really making them all work together cohesively is what we do. Uh, and I, I think the other sort of a big aspect of uh, what we do is also how we believe it should be done. Historically, these type of platforms for integration were the domain of IT, or the technical experts. With where businesses are going, it's really important to have the entire team, IT and business on board with having them to be able to work better and transform how their companies work. So it's a, it's a team sport. So this, this kind of platform needs to be accessible to both business and technology users, non-technical and technical users. So that's uh, that's what we do. It's obviously not the first company that, that you've started. But when did you actually launch the business and what prompted you to, to start it? Yeah, so I, I've been in the integration space for a long time. I was a founder of a company called Tipco, where we created this technology called the TIB, which was sort of the first platform in the, in the in the enterprise software space designed specifically to integrate applications and data together. Uh, and I've had experience with a couple of billion dollar products in that category at TIBCO than at Oracle. But uh, w- what uh, we're doing at Workado was a lot more inspired by some, some time I spent in the consumer space. Uh, I was doing a consumer video application, totally different audience, uh, different expectations. But I, I think uh, when I took some time out in the consumer software and came back into the enterprise space, what I saw was uh, th- there was this huge movement to consumerization of business technology with SaaS applications, but the underlying platforms to make them all work together remain the domain of IT and, and, and technical experts. So what uh, really prompted us to start Workado was the realization that the same kind of people that were using our mobile video streaming app to stream their you know, children's football games in the weekends would go to work and set up marketing campaigns. And run, you know, it's, it's the, the, the domain of business people is very big and uh, the ability for them to put the power in, in, the, in the hands of the domain experts to be, able to, to, to be able to connect the apps. So the problem, it was much bigger uh, in terms of what the type of things we sh- it, it needs to do. Uh, it's not just a plumbing problem, but it affects all the people in the company. But also um, who can do this automation? So we 
we saw that the problem we saw back in the day with TIBCO was like much bigger, bigger, you know, in scope of what it needs to do and who it, who it needs to serve. So that's what uh, prompted us to think about taking a fresh look at this problem. And who is the us that you're referring to there? Did you, did you bring a, a team together specifically for the for this? Yes. The initial team was the team that I had worked with at TIBCO. So the, uh, back at TIBCO, it was a, TIBCO was like almost a 14-year journey you know, for me. Uh, there's a team that we put together there to build a product called Business Works that became sort of the prototype or the blueprint for how integrations were done. So the companies that came on later, like MuleSoft, Informatica, Dell Boomi, they took what TIBCO did in the cloud and uh, in on-premise and moved it to the cloud. So the team that built Business Works, right? That was sort of almost the defining product in the integration space. That product replaced all the stuff that I built earlier. And uh, I, I, I reconnected that with that team after I left my, you know, my consumer company got acquired by Skype. You know, I took some time out and reconnected with them. And, and they, they were the ones that stayed involved in the space. And they were, they were the ones that pointed out how difficult the problem is. Uh, because I was at that point checked out of the enterprise software for many years. So it's after reconnecting with Gautam Viswanathan, you know, was one of my co-founders and a couple of other colleagues that uh, we, we kind of connected the dots between what I saw in the consumer space and what they were saw needed to be done in the enterprise and felt that there was a big problem to solve here. And, and just kind of building on that a little bit, Vijay, you've obviously been in the industry for, I think it's the integration space for kind of approximately three decades. So you've obviously got a lot of experience in, in that area. And you've touched on how you've wanted to kind of really focus on the user experience to broaden out the, the benefits of your technology to a wider audience. I just wondered, were there any other kind of learnings that you and your team had had that informed a different approach at, at Walkato? Absolutely. So one of the things that we, I've seen over time in the enterprise software is that how products are built and what they do, there's there's a pattern, right? So if you look at integration space or business intelligence space or data warehouse space, whatever, pick any sort of a platform space, there is innovations that happen typically in how the products get delivered. So what I mean by that is, in the case of integration, Tipco did this on-prem, and then you know MuleSoft and others came and said, "We're going to. You don't have to install it on-prem. We'll give you the option to do it in cloud." So this hybrid cloud on-prem architecture, and then there's other products that came in later on that. Uh, would say, well, we, we'll run more, you know, completely in the cloud. So the it's the same type of problem that is being solved for the same audience, but delivered in better ways. Not to minimize that, it's the, you know, how you deliver the product has huge implications of how easy it is to consume. So those were big innovations. But what we saw was that there is not a rethinking of the problem itself, right? So it's the same thing in the business intelligence space. It's like, Okay, there is the on-prem version, there's a hybrid version, there's a cloud version, and the Uber off integration, Uber off, like there's just a predictable paradigm. So one of the things that we saw, you know, when I was, you know, completely checked out for many years, six or seven years, is not following enterprise software at all. When I got back into it, it was a bit of a whiplash. It just, uh, you know, in the consumer world, when my live streaming product was down for a few minutes, you know, Ashton Kutcher would be screaming on internet. It was like a $5 per month product. 5% of the people were paying, where 20 million users were profitable versus like products that were built for enterprise that were hard, that routinely go down. And they, in many ways, the expectations of being always on and being 
being perfect, we're even higher in the consumer space. There's two big dimensions in which we felt like things needed to be completely rethought bottom up, not an incremental improvement like let's do an Uber off MuleSoft. You know, like it's it's so one is it's just total rethink on who your audience is and what the what the experience experiences need to be. Number one, the 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 second one is that its integration uh, was always seen as a plumbing problem. We actually called ourselves the digital plumbers. There were people in the back, you know, these experts that would like, you know, lay, lay the plumbing between your apps to get the data synced between these between your business systems. But now, when you look at the proliferation of hundreds of apps, you know, thousands of apps across the entire company, hundreds of apps in individual departments, the problem is much bigger. The plumbing problem is still there. The data still need to be synced up, but it's a much bigger plumbing problem. Uh, but it's now no longer just a domain of IT. When you look at business teams, I talked about the the marketing person that goes to work and sets up marketing campaigns between Salesforce, Marketo, and so on. For them, they don't think about integration and plumbing. They want to have their workflows work uh, across their applications. So for them, integrations look like workflows. They, they come top down and it's a, it's a different perspective and it's a different problem. So the workflow problem is also an integration problem. But there's a third aspect of it, right? Which is the, the workflow problem is like affecting all the, you know, like Salesforce admins and operations people, you know, HR ops. These are the people that are setting up the systems that need to kind of tie them together. But every single worker in a company, digital worker, they have a lot of different applications they're working with. If you're a support person, you've got like 40 tabs on your browser. When a support ticket comes in on Zendesk, you're going to look up, hey, is that customer in good standing in the in the in the financial system? You know, do they, you know, do they do they have prior trouble trouble tickets? What type of customer they are? There's just a lot of context that you're hopping across different applications and piecing this together. And, and then the next ticket comes, you do it all over again. So there's just a lot of fragmentation, not just at the plumbing IT level, but top to bottom across the company. So the scope of the problem is bigger. So what integration meant in the SaaS era uh, is the best of breed, business-driven SaaS era is it is plumbing problems plus much more. So the scope of the problem is bigger. The audience is different. And the expectations and experience must be completely different. So there was almost nothing about what we did before we felt was relevant. So under the covers, it needed to really be strong and highly performant, uh, secure, but needs to that needs to be under the covers. Behind the wheels, it needed to be like a platform the entire company can use. And we put together a completely unique team, right? We put together people from very different places, from consumer and all cloud native companies, integration, and so on to rethink this problem bottom up and uh, from first principles. So it's a harder thing to do, but we felt that's what somebody needed to do is to kind of really solve this problem more more completely and cohesively versus having six different platforms for little bits and pieces of it. Has it proven challenging kind of building a platform that's both trusted by IT, but also kind of works for the, the whole business? Well, it's it's it it was technically challenging. We had to solve some very hard problems architecturally in order for us to be able to vary the technical details and make the product usable for business users. So I, I just mentioned a couple of examples. Right, one is that um, the, when you're a business user, you're not an expert in doing this, like you know, marketing automation or employee onboarding workflow. 
but there are 10,000 other people that have done the same thing. So if we could create a community of users that could create these integrations, use them, and make them available to other people to be able to use, it's not just a technical problem of doing this workflow. It's a thinking problem of, you know, what signals do I look for and how do I tie this together? So the, the community aspect of it is really important, but making uh, integrations that somebody created in company A usable in company B is very difficult because all the apps are different. The apps are also customized differently. There's no two Salesforce apps that are the same. You know, every company has got different Salesforce, right? So the ability to clone or reuse recipes created in one company, in one environment and being used in a completely different, differently customized environment was, was a core IP that we created, you know, to start the company. But there's, there's a list of 18 items that like we felt we, we felt we had to solve. Like, you know, one other at the other end of the spectrum, it is things like how you're getting data between the systems need to be really bulletproof, meaning every piece of update from any any app needs to be processed exactly once and in sequence. If you don't have that guarantee, you're putting the burden on the people that are creating the workflows to detect duplicates and all this kind of stuff. So these are all silly things that if you take care of it in the platform and it has to be super secure, so they're they don't but it's not visible to them, so they, they can actually go and do this stuff, right? So there's a, a lot of uh, innovation that we had to do to deliver this, but there's the other part of it. There's the, that's the technology problem, but there's a social problem of business and IT not trusting each other historically. So a marketing team would never look to IT to get like advice on on the technology to use, and and uh, IT's domain was like shrinking into things like the core processes and and security and things like that. But as this SaaS explosion has happened, there was just a there's, there's a clearly a desire we've seen between IT and business. The business would like uh, some guardrails and some some sort of a guidance, you know, player coach kind of guidance, not controlling oriented guidance, but empowering, so that they, they can actually do what they're doing and not expose the company to risk of leaks of data and things like that. So they they want to be empowered, but in a secure way, in a in a in a, in a scalable way. And IT actually really wants to be involved in making an impact on the business. So there was this undercurrent that was always there, but they were using different tools, different platforms. So there was no common language. So when we created this platform, there was just a huge appreciation that we've seen both from IT and business, especially from IT, that now there's a platform that we can give to business users. We can bring all the tools that they're using out of the shadows and have them use something where everybody is on the same page and there's nothing in the shadows, right? So there's a, so we had to really think hard about both the technology problem and also the social problem around IT and business working together. And I think, you know, it's been exciting to see how that has come along. Yeah, I was going to say, it's an, it's an interesting journey of how, how you've got, got to where you are. I mean, I mentioned at the top of the show in terms of just bringing it back to the, the unicorn theme that that you reached unicorn status in in January of this year how, how has that changed the perception of the company would you say okay so let's say just internally we don't talk unicorn stuff right uh, you know we have had our experience has been building billion dollar revenue products not billion dollar market cap products right it's it's uh so internally for us it's just a a milestone for us uh to uh, and the ability to um 
support our plans to kind of really grow this business. But externally, absolutely, we've seen uh, sort of a a big shift in how uh, people looked at the company. Clearly, we have achieved the product market fit. Clearly, we've we've we've, we've uh, it's a validation of our recognition uh, by our customers and partners and the market about the type of product we have, our vision, our point of view, and how we're delivering on it. And this this sort of a you know this kind of a status, as you say, def you know definitely helps with getting that message out more. I thought it was interesting that the investment and the and the announcement came right in the middle of the pandemic that we've been through. You know, has COVID impacted your business in any way at all? Well, it has. Uh, from a business standpoint, it has been it has been a big positive. COVID has been just like devastating in the world out there. So we're not out here celebrating. It, it, it was a little bit of a, you know, the, the dissonance we're seeing in the technology world, world versus the real world. But um, uh, what COVID has done is it has really forced companies to rethink how they, how they get things done, how they get work done. There, there was always a desire to be, you know, transformative and modern. But there's a lot of inertia built into companies to change. COVID basically has essentially kind of really nuked that inertia. Like you know, it's forced everybody to uh, move forward, uh, simplify things, get their systems connected to, together. So uh, we've seen this in industries. So also we've seen it horizontally across all kinds of companies. Uh, you know, we have customers like um, you know Grab, uh, which is like a ride-hailing company. To, you know, in in Asia, like their business was completely changed by the pandemic. The ride-hailing part of it really went down a lot, but they ramped up their other services quite a lot. So they had to bring new service providers on board. They had to re- redo, rethink how they get work done and what ty- the new types of services delivered new ways to new customers. It's a, it's, it's a very fast transformation. Uh, and we were really fortunate to be part of that, that journey in helping them rethink and rewire. They didn't have to install a lot of new applications, but they had to re rewire the business processes and rethink and re-implement how the company was going to work and how the people were going to work. Uh, companies like um, uh, Broadcom and you know MGM, right, which is like they're uh, the, the in the in the entertainment space, it's just become digital has become the paramount uh, you know strategy for them to uh, so there's just a huge acceleration uh, to to cloud and and to new business models. Uh, so we, we're seeing that in almost any industry, we are seeing industry, you know, like industry-driven transformation. But also in, in there are just horizontal transformations, like, you know, how marketing and sales gets done, you know, these days is uh, completely different, right? I mean, there's the way you're getting your leads, it's not, you're not going to events, uh, you're doing a lot of this online stuff. And there's a lot of uh, digital noise around, like, you know, who are your customers? How are you going to grow with them? But there's a lot of uh, in- information locked into uh, how people interact with your company and how people are interacting with other services outside of your company. So, for example, if some cust- company is going and researching products in G2 or G2 Crowd, uh, you know, or Gartner, you know, or Tech Target, there are APIs for this that that can let you know that this company is researching products in this category. These kind of intent signals can help you be much more focused about what you want to do, right? We grew almost 60% you know, during the pandemic. So this about 40% of our people haven't seen anybody else. It's, it's how do you onboard 
you know, people, how do you get them plugged in? How, you know, the, the, the whole set of workflows around people and HR uh, is completely, you know, being scrambled up and had to be redone. So we see all of these kind of use cases have put, you know, it's just driven significant acceleration in our business. So we, before the pandemic, our plan was to double our business last year. We went well past that. I mean, we grew past the well past the original targets. So it, it was, from a business standpoint, very positive. Was that global recruitment, or is that specific regions? It is global. We have seen this happening in um, in Europe, in North America, you know, Asia Pacific, and Japan. Japan is a you know is a this is a huge movement towards automation, almost a mandate from the government. I mentioned Southeast Asia, you know, in uh, U.S. pretty much across all di- all different kinds of industries, you know, like retail, like there was the, the largest shoe retailer in the U.S. filed for bankruptcy and came out of it with a very ambitious digital plan that we were, were fortunate to be part of. And uh, same thing in Europe, you know, we're working with private equity companies there to help just accelerate the, the post-pandemic, you know, the new age of working with their companies, you know, at scale. So it's it's been um, across the world. Congratulations on a really great um, year. And you've obviously, you know, you've picked up several awards on the way and very much kind of emerged as one of the hottest uh, enterprise tech companies out there at the moment. I wondered whether you'd be able to give us a sense of how you're planning to accelerate the company's growth this year and, and how you see the company evolving. Yes. Uh, you know, look, I think, you know, thank you for the comment. Uh, this uh, problem or opportunity to get companies of all sizes in all these industries to be able to get their data applications and people working together better is the biggest opportunity in enterprise software, right? So there's like huge estimates for like, you know, how big this market is. We believe it's one of the biggest out there. Uh, We're a very small player. So we, we are just starting out and, you know, for us, it's pretty clear we're very early stage in that journey. But we, we have the we have amazing customers, Fortune five, you know, five hundred type customers around the world, and uh, I think we've been able to build out a very solid product foundation globally to be able to deliver this service as a utility anywhere in the world. Uh, so we've laid the foundation, and we've got like really great customers and partners. Uh, so at this point, it really our focus is now on. Um, uh, not you know sort of there's not enough awareness of us relative to some of the more established players. So the big focus for us is um, is uh, just the go to market, increasing the awareness, increasing our ability to support the customers you know globally. So uh, we're going to continue to be investing a lot in our product. There's there's some exciting areas that we're working on there to layer on top of what exists of our current product. We are also opening up data centers outside the U.S in Europe and then later 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 on this year in in, in Asia Pacific so a lot of all that is really focused on helping us uh, reach more 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 customers that's great well you've slightly i think you've you've jumped ahead to one of the one of the other things we wanted to talk about so obviously this um podcast we focus a lot on communications and culture and i was just wondering from your perspective as a leader what's your approach been to raising awareness and and differentiating Wakato in kind of a very like a noisy enterprise tech space. Yeah, it's a really good question. We're still figuring that out, um, you know, Brandon ourselves. Uh, historically, uh, our business was uh, was almost all inbound. What I mean by that is that our customers came through referrals from other customers and partners. 
for a while, one of the biggest sources of referrals was when somebody moved from a company from one company to another. In in our space, this you know, like within IT, the the core buyers, you know, this business technology folks, the average tenure is about eighteen months. So so they have been like a huge source of uh, the first thing they do when they bought when they go to the new places to work out of. So we have, it's been it was. Um, we focused on building a really deep foundation. There's a lot of products in the space that don't work well, including some that we've created in the past. It was really important for us to just go deep and get it right. So the focus was very much on the product and the business was all inbound. So there's two things that we're doing to kind of really change that. One is that within the company, we've created a significant outbound organization where we have identified industries and target customers in these industries, the most wanted thousand customers, for example. And we're going really intensely after that in an account-based marketing sort of way, right? So that we're raised deep awareness within like the target segment. And then we are working more broadly on on, uh, thought leadership and, you know, getting our vision out there through other influencers. So, you know, analysts like Gartner's, Forrester's, uh, HFS Research, and other influencers. And these folks have really loved our vision and what we are doing. Um, so they've been sort of big amplifiers of, uh, of, of, of our vision. Uh, and the third part of it, which is probably going to be the biggest part, is our partners. What really happens you know, with transformation and the movement to cloud is a lot of this work, the digital foot soldiers are actually these SIs and these you know, like, you know, mid-sized and boutique consulting companies they specialize in financial operations for nonprofit or retail transformation or, you know, or they're either regionally or vertically or like uh, domain sort of focused uh, experts. And they are the ones that companies are bringing on board to, to help them to, to change. And they, they, we are like absolutely the, sort of the perfect sort of platform for them. They can dream it. They can think about it. And our platform really helps them to deliver on that very fast. So they have been incredibly passionate adopters of Workado. We actually consider them to be, you know, sort of an extended part of the Workado team. So when we had our sales kickoff in February, we invited a number of them to participate alongside our company. So the, we see we, we see that ecosystem where there are almost, you know, hundreds to, you know, you know a few thousand of these, uh, these ecosystem partners that are making the transformation happen on the ground going to be our key agents for getting the message out and and sort of being the force multiplier for Workado. Vijay, just picking up on, on the, the bit you were just saying there about getting content out there and raising awareness. So in prepping for this podcast, I came across a, a report on LinkedIn and it's by a company that it's, it's the letters are DSMN8. So I guess, I guess they're pronounced disseminate. I, d- I don't know. But anyway, they, this, they look into the companies whose employees are amplifying their their presence on social the most. And so in February, they they released the figures for the computer software industry uh, for their report for that. And guess what? At number one was Wakato. So disseminate, just to to, explain, they described themselves as, this is off their website, the employer influence platform. And they explained that the chart is based on how engaged employees are consistently sharing the company's content within their own network, increasing awareness, website traffic, and generating new business. And so in the February uh, report, according to their data, um, 
and it'd be interesting to know how they how they do this. But basically, they've said that over fifty three percent of your employees had shared your company content to uh, LinkedIn in the previous thirty days of of them releasing that data. How how, how did that feel re- reading that report and seeing those numbers? I was really proud to see that. I had no idea about uh, the, you know that people kept track of these things. I should not be surprised with what our team does. I mean, they're always uh, doing things that just amaze me. I think, uh, you know, just look at how we had uh, like an unbelievable year with like almost 40% of the people having joined, you know, during the pandemic. So we have a really special team. I feel like really uh, fortunate every day wake up (laughs) to, to be part of, you know, you know, to be part of the team. But this one just absolutely like came out of the blue. Like what? Like, but I think what it reflects is that as a company, we are all aware. We're all on the same page. We've got a great platform. We've got a really good solution to offer to a lot of companies. And most of the world does not know about us yet. So that awareness is not just with me, it's with everybody in the company. So we're all on the same page. We talk about this, you know, and we put a lot of effort into creating content, not about workado, but about ideas for how companies can, you know, can, uh, you know, can really change the game. How, how can they actually generate more leads and meetings and opportunities in the pandemic in a pure digital way, you know, as, as an example, right? So, um, and we have a lot of really great content we do with our customers and partners, taking that those ideas and uh, those value add uh, pieces to the world and sharing it um, is very, very important for us. I know our team was very active with it, but when you put it in relative to like being the number one in the company in the world in, in doing that, that's uh, that's humbling. You know, I think it was... Well, it was it was exciting to see that. Yeah, that's really fantastic, and I guess it kind of is an external reflection of what a great culture you you've developed for the business. And then I was just kind of curious um, what your philosophy or approach is to building culture in you know a fast moving, high growth environment, especially as you kind of you noted that you know I think it was sixty percent of the new employees or or sixty percent of your employees now who are new you have haven't met each other. You know so. How do you build build culture in that kind of environment? Yeah, no, our company grew about sixty percent last year. But yeah, no, I think that it's it, it's very high growth. Look, I think even before the pandemic, from the from the beginning of like starting the company, culture and how we do things, who we work with, the journey was always like you know like the most important thing for us. You know, Mercado is my fourth company, fourth startup. I think the biggest takeaway from the earlier experiences is that, you know, you don't remember all of the just great, you know, business outcomes that you see, you know, you remember that some, but what you remember is how you felt working with the people who you worked with, what kind of challenges you tackled, you know, how it felt working with them and you build lifelong relationships. To to me, that that's what you will tell your family down the road when, you know, looking back. So to me, the culture was absolutely and is is the most paramount thing. Uh, You know, we will change what we do. It's just, you know, it's the people and how we work. Uh, So I think one of the things that we've been very fortunate fortunate about is like when, because of these prior experiences, when we put the initial team together, right? Like the first 20, 30 people, a lot of them had worked with. And I knew these people are just amazing individuals, not just like the best in their field. You know, we had some people that like were the early people that created products like AWS and Salesforce platform, Force.com, and 
you know, the head of products at Splunk, you know, the head of products at Tipco, the chief architect of Skype, some really amazing category creating products, product leaders. But I personally knew them to be um, just amazing individuals, super humble. They really like nothing better than work with other smart people to tackle big problems. So I think the, the first 20, 30 people that we brought onto the company in this way really set the tone for, I think, when other people come on board and they see people like Gautam or like, you know, Amlan in our team, it, it, they, and they are so humble. Like, it's that, that was always a really big focus. I've also seen in my past experiences, as you go through these high stages of growth, there's incredible stresses created on that culture. It is just hard to, you know, overstate how challenging it is to maintain and build upon a culture when you're when you're growing fast and you're growing from hundreds to maybe a thousand people in in the not too distant future. So that's the thing that I really worry about the most. You know, I, I think it's, you know, like, yes, I think there's a big market and we need to grow fast and we're going to take the market. But the thing that I worry about the most is how do we build upon that culture, right? And we we have these things called the core operating principles in the company. It's not values that we put up on the wall, wall like honesty, integrity, and all, which feels pretty cheap. There's too many examples of companies that have those values that don't follow them. So we took, we've taken a different approach to these, uh, what we call our core guiding principles or operating principles of, you know, keeping the customers first, biasing the long-term, towards the long-term, winning as a team, you know, being transparent. There's just, an, you know, there's about eight of these things that we talk about. These things were not very deliberate in the past. These were just by osmosis where, you know, by example, people were picking up. I think we need to get more intentional because inevitably, I think it is, there is a, it, it will take a lot of work for us to continue to maintain that culture. And that's like, I see that as my job number one. Yeah, I like that idea of kind of framing those things as operating principles over values. It makes it more tangible, doesn't it? And kind of gives you some guardrails for how things can how things operate. Um, I was just wondering, you obviously kind of got a team of people around the world that that work with you and for you. How do you kind of manage that from an internal communications perspective? I'm sure you know in in normal circumstances you would be out on you know, on the road and seeing people, but, you know, like how have, in the past year, how have you kind of managed that internal communications with, with your, your, I guess, with your leadership team, but also with the wider company? So I think we had an advantage in the sense that we were always a very um, deeply remote company. Uh, we were not a pure remote company like some of the others are out there, but we have had a very um, strong orientation towards like bringing people on board, the best people in the world, wherever they are at, literally, you know, like we have people from Siberia to like, you know, Thailand to everywhere in between, right? We've always had that culture. So, and with the, with sort of the leadership that we have, very experienced leadership, we have really good systems for how we work in within each of the teams across all of these time zones, you know, like there's a cadence of how you work. Um, you know, we were one of the very first companies that got onto Slack when Slack released their product like back in 2013, 14. Like as soon as we started the company, we got on what on Slack. We were always very hungry about uh, leveraging the technology to the max. So that that was always part of the culture. So when the pandemic hit, in terms of the the actual work processes within product development, right? Within marketing, within 
within within sales. Um, it was not super hard to scale the interpersonal working relationships. What was hard was that we didn't get to see these people. So even though we were remote, one of the things that we made a very big point of was that every year, between two to four times, depending on your role, we would bring people back to, into the headquarters, into the Bay Area. We even had these workado houses where like, you know, so people could stay long-term without, you know, feeling comfortable. So we almost, we have a, a big operation in Singapore. It's almost like a second headquarters. But we made a big, we made a point of, bringing people here. So we would work remote, but we would make sure that we are spending some very high quality time together, even with each other's families. So some of these people would come and stay at my house for some time. So we really got to know each other, right? And then that that gave us the standing to be able to be great remote. We lost that, that, that part of um, uh, being able to do that. But the sort of the the, the 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 relationships and the goodwill we've banked over time with with the with the existing team have helped us to bring this new team on board some of like two of our top performing sales reps two number one and two reps were like people that we hired in the pandemic last year right it, i mean these people have just been blowing the doors off into the performance like you know but we can't wait to um like hope, we're hoping this summer certainly in the us um, it looks like we'd be able to do this we're going to bring the workado houses back. We will be working probably even more remote than we were before because people have really appreciated the flexibility. But you know, some people have permanently moved out of like you know out of the offices and like in remote, and they don't have to come back. But what we are going to do is to make it. Uh, we, we're going to try to again you know get together when it is possible, just from a personal relationship point of view. We're going to bring that back. What about switching from? internal comms to to external how how do you view that part of the role as an external spokesperson to the business is it something you enjoy i've begun to realize it's uh it's going to be a much more important part of my role than when we were when we were building the company so it was really sort of a switching of the gears when we were sort of creating this product and creating this company where it was very much inwardly focused i i think over the last couple of years i've had to personally make a you know shift uh, towards spending uh, more time to get our message out. And I think uh, uh, that is going to be even more of a focus uh, going forward. So it's it's only something that we're learning as a team to, um, you know, make that a priority and like really make that a big part of our jobs. That's probably one of the biggest changes I would say from, you know, between now and what we were doing maybe a couple of years ago. The spirit of this series, VJ, is kind of like, um, helping to pass on lessons from experienced leaders like yourself to kind of aspiring leaders. And one of the things we always like to ask people is what the biggest communications challenge they've ever faced it, uh, along the way and how they overcame it. And I, I and it doesn't necessarily need to be at Wakato, but previously, can you, is there anything that you can kind of, that sticks in your mind as something that was a real challenge for you that you had to overcome along the way? Yes. I, I think there's, um, you know, communication and being, you know, being connected is is the is the hardest challenge company faces. It's been part. It's been a big challenge in every company that I was part of. There is always this sense of, uh, for example, people in headquarters are able to connect with each other on the water coolers, but people in in remote areas don't feel as connected. You know, I've never found a place where we felt that we communicated enough, and we did enough to get everybody on the same page. So. 
getting into starting this company from the beginning, this was like a, a big pressing. We knew this was going to be like the biggest thing. So we tried to instill a lot of things into our system. First of all, like having a, a very remote culture, but also um, one of the simple things like when we said, like whenever there is some question that somebody poses on Slack, if they're in a remote location by themselves, that should get priority one. You know, we've got to answer that. Don't ever leave that un- unanswered. And if it's people from you know outside of headquarters, prioritize them, right? There's a lot of these things that we do to, we've done to keep us connected, but we know we cannot communicate enough. So one of the, we set up a bunch of cadence, for example, that we have a, a once a quarter board meeting, right? What we do is like the next week after the board meeting, we go through the entire board material. We are completely transparent. Like I said, like the issues around, you know, we need to get the message out. Everybody's on, on the same page. It's because we literally take the entire board presentation. We don't want the entire company to be participating in the board meeting, but we take the entire, the same deck, the same material, and the execs will actually go through all of that with the entire team. So everybody knows in real time where are we, where we are at. So they're not getting caught up on what our strategy was two months ago. They're like, so even with this, I feel like we are always looking for uh, what can we do to communicate more within the teams and across teams. Like we're creating a new, very interesting new role uh, reporting into me around this um this team level productivity and you know communication and all that. Um, it's a different type of role that I'm trying out to, to get the entire company to be more on the same plane. For example, if there are people that have that are on our SDR team that want, you know, usually the thing they look at is like the, the career path is uh is sales. But you know, maybe you know, if we 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 have this in a very good connected place, they could find other opportunities in customer success. So we want to have mobility within the company, the you know, connectedness. And so we're always looking for ideas. I don't think we've, you know, we will ever solve solve that problem fully. I think that your point that you made at the start though, of like really thinking that you never you can never communicate too much is a really good guiding thought, isn't it? Because it kind of always makes you be on the front foot looking for new ways to do things, which you obviously are. That's right. Vijay, thank you so much for, for giving so much detail and, and, and honesty in, in all your answers. It's been, it's been really great. I, I, we've got one final question for you that we've asked all our um, unicorn leaders in this series, and that's if you were to go back in time and speak to your old self, what guidance would you give yourself about communications, but also what steps would you encourage yourself to take in order for you and your business to excel in those communications? Yes, uh, I, I think one of the benefits of having done multiple of these companies is that when I got into this company, I, I could give advice to myself a little bit when at, at the start of Workado, right? And I, I, and I think it is uh, really about Think deliberately about the type of team that you're building initially. It's going to set the cultural cornerstones for your for your company as you grow, and prioritize the culture uh, at least as much as the business. It's very hard when you're doing a, a early stage in a startup to think about culture when you're like looking for survival and traction. But it's uh, really important to prioritize that equally. You know, every team is different. I don't think there's like a, there's some good ideas that you can pick up from people, and I have. Uh, like the, the the board meeting idea was something that I picked up from another company called Rubric that actually did that. They were transparent with their board content to the entire company. So what a great idea. So be hungry for ideas. Uh, at the same time, know your team, right? Uh, you know, when you when you 
work with people that you worked with in the past, but if you worked with them in a lo- long time ago, you may feel that you know them, but our experiences have changed. So don't assume that people are on the same page as you on just uh, even with people that are close to you, you you've got to really be explicit and communicate. Uh, you just over communicate. Vijay Teller, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, join us online and record this today. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much, Russell and, and Brandon. Thank you, Vijay. Brendan, uh, number 15 in the can. What's your thoughts on what uh, Vijay had to say? Well, I mean, first of all, it's just it's an incredibly exciting story hearing about um, Workato's evolution and kind of like the inspiration behind the company. But then from a communications perspective, I thought that there was some kind of really great strategic principles and then some some good illustrations of those ideas. So I thought, you know, his point about thinking very deliberately about the founding team and how that team is going to really establish the cultural cornerstones of the company was was a, a really key point. I also thought, you know, like his lesson learned that that you can never communicate too much is also another really useful guiding principle. And then the other thing I really loved was when he was kind of talking about, you know, when you think back to companies you work for, you don't kind of remember the challenges so much as you remember your your experience as a feeling. I think, again, that's kind of a, a very useful thing to think about when, we, when we're all kind of like planning to, to, you know, our business and we're communicating is really thinking about what's the feeling that we're going to be creating with our colleagues and then I say, I thought there were some good, really nice little ideas in there, such as the, the point about sharing like the board minutes, you know, with the whole company to keep everyone on the same page, prioritizing communicating with people outside of head office, because that's kind of really important in terms of everyone feeling close. So yeah, really, really enjoyed that conversation. The the bit about the founding team, I mean, they certainly started with a bit of experience there. You know, he mentioned AWS, Skype, I think Apple was was in there as well. I don't know if you mentioned that, but um, that's a hell of a starting place. No, I, yeah, I really thought that was great. I mean, and, and the, the point he made about those people and why he chose to, to build Wakata with them, not just because they were kind of real experts in the area, but in his opinion, they were just also great people, um, very humble. Um, and I, yeah, I thought that you could see how that's ultimately led to, you know, building a really great culture. Excellent stuff. Um, That's it for this latest episode in this uh, special series with Taito. If you want to find out more about Workato, uh, then their website is simply workato.com. That's W-O-R-K-A-T-O.com. We'd love to hear your comments on today's chat, and you can share them on our Facebook page, LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter feeds, or in the comments of the YouTube version of this podcast. Those are all linked from the top of the website at csuitepodcast.com, where you'll also find all our previous shows and supporting show notes, plus links to where you can uh, follow us for automatic downloads of each episode via the likes of Spotify and Apple. And if you've liked what you've heard, please do give us a positive rating and review. We're, of course, available on all podcast apps. Just search for the C-Suite podcast and hit follow or subscribe. Uh, You can also subscribe to the Without Borders podcast from our partners at Taito. All the details for that are on their website. So just head to taitopr.com and click on the podcast link in the top nav bar. If you are a unicorn leader yourself and you'd like to be part of this series, then please do get in touch via the contact form on the website at c-suitepodcast.com. Uh, plus of course anyone can get in touch too with any feedback you may have and finally you can also reach me via the likes of twitter using at russ goldsmith or you can find me on linkedin but for now thanks for listening and goodbye